Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. Now this morning the, the, the verses won't be on the screen because we're doing the whole book. Everybody packed a lunch, right? Kidding. You won't starve. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, I haven't mentioned this in a while, somewhere around the, 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 where you're sitting, there's a Bible on a rack underneath the, one of the chairs. Use that. If you don't have a Bible of your own, that one's yours. You just claimed it by using it, so take it home. Uh, we want you to have it as a gift. It, our, our Bibles are always free. Uh, we had some, uh, some children in Awana earlier this week that, that wanted a, a Bible, and yes, the answer is always yes. Anytime somebody wants a Bible, yes, you can have a Bible. So um, if you need one, take one. Uh, if you just need to use it this morning, that's fine too. You can do that. Continuing now, we're, we're done with Amos. We're in Jonah. We're, the reason I'm preaching the whole book of Jonah is because I'm not going to be here next week. Uh, Dr. Andy Buckley is going to be preaching uh, from 2 Samuel about Saul. I remember something about a fool was your title. I don't... The man who played the fool. That's right. That, that's... Uh, I hate that I'm going to miss that. We'll, we'll probably watch it on the, on the back end. Um, uh, so we'll be gone. Uh, we'll be in Arkansas that weekend. This morning, though, we're continuing the, the God's constant pursuit theme of these four minor prophets that we're looking at. In Jonah, we see God's pursuit. We see God's pursuit in going after his boy, because his boy is running from him. Uh, we see God pursuing him across the Mediterranean. We see God pursuing a pagan nation, the Ninevites, the Assyrians. We see God pursuing throughout Scripture, but particularly in these prophets that we're looking at. Our, our theme this morning, our, our title this morning is The Same God. Huh? Y'all, do y'all notice a theme in the service or anything? It's almost like we plan things. The same God. Just the, how this all came together, I'm not going to get into all of it, but just God working things out in ways. We didn't, we didn't plan, I will say a little bit, we didn't plan the song, The Same God, for starting Jonah. And that wasn't it. it. It was we planned the song, The Same God, because we do a new song every month, and we do it for four Sundays in October, it'll probably be five Sundays, uh, to, to learn that song. And this month's song, chosen a month and a half ago or two months ago, is the uh, is same God. And then we get to this message, and I'm looking at it, how am I going to preach all of Jonah uh, in, in, a, in one Sunday without keeping here till supper? And, uh, well, you're going to see. Our memory verse is from Amos. Oh, I gave away one of the blanks. All right. We got the starter word. That's it. Now, we're only going to be doing, this is the last Sunday for this verse, unless uh, Dr. Buckley takes you through it uh, with his message Sunday morning. So let's see if we can remember it. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Amos 5, 24. I was watching Etta's lips to make sure I said 24 right. Got that one right. Very good. Y'all getting there. Uh, we will have bookmarks for, we hopefully by next Sunday, we'll have bookmarks for the next verse, uh, Micah 6.8, if you want to start looking at that. But what is required of you, O oh man, but to, uh, I'm leaving the part out. That's right. He has shown you, O oh man, uh, what is good, what is he required of you, but to do justice, love, kindness. That's the word we're using instead of mercy. Um, only because different translations said different things, and we had to pick one. Uh, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the, what we're looking at. But that's, that's, that's the future. We're, we're, we're here in Jonah this morning looking at the same God. Now, like I said, we're done with Amos, and Amos spent a whole bunch of sermons, uh, sermon after sermon, right? His, his the book of Amos is a collection of sermons and some little bit of narrative and then some songs and poetry that were sort of in the, uh, really, are actually sermons. Um, telling Israel 
that they will be destroyed. That's the message. He didn't give them really a time frame, but we know it would be in something around 30 to 35 years. From the time of Amos' messages, uh, messages, Israel, the northern kingdom, would be destroyed. We know now in the future that it was the kingdom of Assyria that did that. Now, it's interesting. At the time of Amos and Jonah, because they were contemporaries, they, uh, Jonah was a prophet to Jeroboam II, uh, just like Amos was, but Jonah seemed to have more of a um, courtly duty than being called out of the, out of the, off the farm like Amos was. About the same time, when all that was going on, and Jonah tells Jeroboam uh, somewhere in 2 Kings, hey, the, the, the borders of Israel are going to be pushed out to where they used to be. They were. He was right. And, and, and they got pushed out. The reason they, got, they could get pushed out is because Assyria, the country of Assyria, was in the very bottom of about a... Oh, probably 60-year decline. They had gotten whooped up on a little bit some 30 years before this or so, and before the time of Amos and Jonah, and they weren't really a, a country at this point at all. They were multiple city-states, which tell, explains some of the language that's used about Nineveh at the end of the book of Jonah. So they were, and, and each city has its own king now. There, there's no unified uh, thing. They were rough and tough and been whooping up on Israel for years prior to that. But at this point in time, Assyria is not much of anything. So nobody's really looking east, even from Israel, worried about what might come from that direction. Or, or it's probably a little more northeast from Israel. Nobody's concerned about Assyria. And yet, we know that Assyria is the one that destroyed Israel because, in time, they built back up. About the time that, at the same time that Amos is preaching the demise of Israel, Jonah is sent to, based on the sermon he preaches that we have recorded, five little words, he's there to preach the demise of Nineveh as well for the same thing for injustice, for sinfulness, for unrighteousness. Israel, because you're not who I said you should be, you're going to be destroyed. Assyria, because you aren't who I expect everybody to be, you're going to be destroyed. Our big idea this morning, the theme of this message, is the same God that judges sin with power forgives sin with grace. The same God. The one who judges is the one who forgives. Now, if we just start thinking about that sentence a little bit, we realize, well, that only makes sense because only the one who judges could be the one that forgives. And only the one who forgives could be the one who judges. But in most pagan religions, in mythology, you've got the God over here. He's the mean, rough, and tough, and ju judgmental one. Then you've got the one that is nice and sweet and coddles. And, and we have a God. We have the same God, the one who judges and the one who forgives. We see this picture of the same God from Amos to Jonah even though the messages could not be too, too different, at least in their minds, nations. Let's look at the book of Jonah. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to pull out some verses as we move through. Specifically, we're going to pull out the times that God acts or speaks. We first see in Jonah 1.1 the call. The call. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Uh, go back, Pat, don't put that other sentence on yet. Nope, nope. Now go for No, <laughs> go, the, go forward. One more. Okay, stop there. There we go. The call. Jonah is called now to take this message. 
And notice that the message is not one of repentance. He's not taking a message of, Nineveh, turn from your sin. The message that he is taking is one of judgment. The same thing Amos has said to Israel. Now, occasionally, Amos will throw out, you know, just maybe some of you might survive. Some of you might get out of this a little okay if you return to the Lord now, but judgment's coming. That's the same message. That's the message that he is preaching to Nineveh. And you know what? He didn't want to do it. He has no desire because he knows something about God. It's the same thing that we know about God. He knows that there's there's grace in the heart of God. He, he knows what our, our big idea, that the same God that judges sin with power forgives sin with grace. So he's going to go the other way. But what we need to see from the call here, from what God says, from what God speaks to Jonah, is that the same God that expects righteousness of Israel expects it of others. We have this idea that... Christianity is just a big bunch of rules we have to follow. Uh, maybe we have to follow them to get to heaven. Some of us think that. Some of us right here in this room think that. We think we, we, that if you drink alcohol, you can't go to heaven because that's what we've been taught. Uh, don't smoke, dip, or chew, or kiss girls that do, or go with girls that do, or whatever. You know, we, we, we can't play dance, complain, can't play cards, can't play dice, can't play dominoes, um, we got our, we've got our list of rules that th- th- you just can't do and go to heaven. And in fact, it's not true, number one. We're not supposed to sin, correct. But we've got Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. That's the message of Christianity. Not the don't do, but come and see. That's our message. But it is true. Right, that we are expected to act a certain way. The, the, the Bible is not unclear on what's sin and what isn't sin. And it's not on, unclear in our sanctification that we are to be more like Christ every day. But what is clear also is that God expects the same thing of everybody. Do you realize that? that if, if God says, my church should not do these things... What he's saying is nobody should do these things, but especially my church shouldn't do these things. As a matter of fact, isn't that why we need a Savior anyway? Because we all do the same things. The Savior was sent. The church is merely made up of those who have responded to Jesus with the same sins as everybody else. Paul said, uh, talking about this list of, of, of sins, murderers and and, and uh, homosexuals and, and adulterers and liars and slanderers, all of which y'all were, he says to the church. Yee, Paul? Well, y'all are. Every one of you is one of those. Some of you are all of those. You were. And then Jesus. The same God that expected Israel to be a certain way also expected Nineveh to act the same way. Well, we keep going. So we've got the call, and we see the same God. Now we see in verse 4, we look at the, the redirection, the redirection of Jonah. Verse 4, he, is, he has gotten up in verse 3. He's to flee to Tarshish, which is literally the other direction, and as far away from Nineveh just about as you could get well, it really was. It's, it's there on the, uh, um, straight, at the Strait of Gibraltar in Spain. Uh, other, other than crossing the Atlantic and coming to the New World a little before uh, Columbus, um, that's as far west as you could get from Nineveh and, and, and still be in what they normally, normally would travel to. But God doesn't let it go. Verse 4, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. 
Sailors who had spent their lives on the sea were terrified by this storm. Nothing like they had ever seen. Because God has placed a call on his prophet. You know, the prophet. You know, the guy that's supposed to work for God all the time. And, and do what God tells him to do. And say the things God tells him to say. And now he's running to get away from God. God goes after him. God redirects him. God tells him in no uncertain terms, this is not where you're supposed to be. Now we're going to read on here a little bit and we're going to see that he's, in the, he's asleep. He has so put God out of his mind that he's not even, he doesn't even realize what he has caused. Jonah has, has run. Jonah has disobeyed. Jo- Jonah has turned tail and gotten out of dodge, to mix my metaphors. And what we see is that the same God that calls for obedience redirects disobedience. God doesn't back off just because we say no. God doesn't, and we're going to see this in a little bit, God doesn't change his mind just because we're not happy about what he's doing. uh, A friend of mine up in uh, Missouri, I think, he's moved a couple of times, so I'm not sure where he is at the moment, uh, is, is was teaching this Jonah passage like we were in, in our connect groups. And he shared this um, fake prayer of Jonah uh, on Facebook this morning. And it, it, it was written, I don't remember the author's name, it's called Negotiation with a Higher Power negotiation with a higher power. Now, what that sounds stupid anyway. I mean, they're the higher power, but it, uh, anyway. And it's, it's really what Jonah wanted here. I will demonstrate my immediate obedience providing you comply with my demand for a more satisfying assignment. Let me read it again. Because I'm slow, it took me a couple of times. I will demonstrate my immediate obedience, providing you comply with my demand for a more satisfying assignment. Yes, Lord, I'll do exactly what you say as soon as you tell me to do something I like. That was Jonah. And God redirects. God doesn't let us do that. God doesn't let us change his mind because of our disobedience. The same God that calls for obedience redirects disobedience. The same God that says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, responds with um, certainty when Jonah heads the opposite direction to Tarshish. So they sail on, or try to. The boat threatened to break apart. They're all afraid. What in the world? They, they go wake Jonah up. You need to be helping. Dude, pray to your God, whatever, something. They, they, uh, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the, the, the Lord God of heavens and the sea. He controls all this. It's my God that's doing this. Well, do something about it. Help us throw stuff up. Whatever. They, 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 um, Let's see, they'd already cast lots, so they knew he was the issue. In verse 10, verse 11, what should we do? He says, throw me over. They don't want to do that. The dude just told them, my God's the God of the land and the sea. He's the one doing this. Well, how do we make him happy? Kill me. Um, What's option number two? For a brief moment, they're Jonah. I will fully comply with what you say do just as soon as you change your directive to something a bit more palatable. Um, Pick me up and throw me over. Verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They weren't going to do it, but the sea wouldn't let them. The Lord wouldn't let them. And they finally do it. 
They don't like it. Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with it. Verse 15, then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Point number three, the acknowledgement of verse 16. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We don't know what this means fully in the lives of these men. Did they become followers of Yahweh at this point and step aside from their their pagan religions, their false religions, their wooden idols? I I would love to hope so. That, That they saw this happen, and when they got to port, they told people about it, and somewhere there was an Israelite living in the community that said, That's incredible. That actually just sounds just like my God. Let me tell you more about him. And those sailors became followers of God. That would be a wonderful story. And because of their faith, then that faith translates to a faith that allows us to see the sailors that threw Jonah into the sea in heaven someday. Maybe. And maybe not. But whatever the case, at this moment, at this time, they acknowledge God. They believe that God is the God of the land and the sea. They believe the the power of Yahweh, this, this God for whom Jonah is supposed to be a faithful prophet. And what we see in this acknowledgement of the sailors is that the same God that is disobeyed by believers is acknowledged by unbelievers. We see Jonah saying, I'm not supposed to be here and this is my punishment. I have disobeyed God and that's why this is happening. He's the one who's supposed to believe and be faithful He's not, and it's the unbelievers that look at his life and look how God responds and says, have mercy, we best do some sacrifices to this God because he's the real deal, okay? I don't know, and and here's why, I I mean, I, I hope that this was a true conversion of these sailors, The reality is that if Jonah had just shown up on their ship and everything had been smooth sailing from Joppa to Tarshish, and he had told them on the way, though he wouldn't have because he was running from God, but let's just make up a story here, and he had told them along the way about the God he served, I don't know that they would have responded the same way. Our God, look, it's, it's beautiful out here. Why isn't this our God's doing this? They might have said. This is sad for two reasons. Sad that it was Jonah's unbelief, unrighteousness, disobedience, that, that led to the at least temporary but maybe permanent conversion of these men. And it's also sad that the men had to have that sort of thing happen in order to follow God. It's also sad that Jonah's only testimony to them was, this is God responding to my disobedience. But isn't it also a beautiful picture of the grace of God? That he will take even disobedience, even unfaithfulness, and he can use that to convert and convince, again, even if only temporary, a group of sailors. What, do, what is the cliche about sailors? What's the stereotype of sailors? they are generally not considered to be the most moral. They, they are just in situations often that, that allow morals to be secondary to a lot of things. We, we, what do we cuss like when we cuss? Sailors. And we're just going to stop there. Um, and it took... 
and, and God used. I mean, this is, this is a, emotionally, this is a conflicting part of the story. It, it took this tragedy to convert them. Jonah didn't even try to convert them without a tragedy, and yet God can take a tragedy to convert them. It's just the beautiful providence of God working in the lives of these people. The same God that's disobeyed by his believers, his followers, is acknowledged by unbelievers, people that don't follow him. Verse 17 talks about the fish, the whale, what Jonah gets all the attention for. Oh, we were talking in the foyer earlier that one of the earliest stories we learn from the Bible is Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the fish. And, and we talk about that. The fish gets two verses out of 48. And yet, that's who we make the movies about the fish and the songs, Jonah and the whale. We also tend to think of this great fish as judgment. And certainly, being wrapped up in the digestive juices and everything else that's a part of that, inside the belly of a big old like whale shark kind of thing, that could certainly be considered judgment. But what that fish is, is rescue. We studied the prayer of Jonah this morning in our Connect group. That's what we talked about. And, and the some scholars think, some not scholars think, uh, that Jonah actually died here. That his prayer was a prayer of thankfulness for literal resurrection, not just salvation from the water. But either way, regardless, the fish is what got him out of the sea. The fish is the rescue. But look who sent the fish. The Lord appointed a great fish. We go back and we've talked about this when we went through Jonah well, years ago, soon after I got here. The, over and over, the Lord appointed. He appointed the wind. He appointed the, he, he broke the, the, the boat, all this stuff. He appointed the fish. The rescue, the fish, was God's deal. The same God that disciplines the sea, the redirection, the throwing over, the either almost drowning or actually drowning, the one who orchestrated all that also sends the rescue. Sometimes God's just got to get our attention. And the discipline is such that we cannot miss that it's God and not circumstance, not happenstance, not just a crazy coincidence. No, this was God in my life saying, I need you to look up here at me. Clap once, clap twice. Elementary school teachers, they know. And God says, now, now that I have your attention, let me get you out of what I just put you in. The same God who disciplines rescues. Then we go through Jonah's prayer. We, we spent time on that this morning in Connect Group. We're not going to spend time on it this morning. That's why I encourage you to come to Connect Group, connecting with God and each other. Come to Connect Groups 9-15 every Sunday morning, except Christmas Day. We go through the prayer. We get to chapter 3, verse 1. And we see the consistency. The Lord commanded the fish in verse 10, and it vomited. Don't miss that word. Don't think hoctalugi, a Jonah loogie, and just... No, we're talking about, and I don't want to get too graphic because I'll, I'll throw up too. But that's what we're talking we're, we're talking about from down here, after three days, and... You never know when you're going to get sick, right? And for whatever reason, it seems like that was the three days you spent eating the most, the richest, at the nicest restaurants, just in time. Well, you know. 
So that's what happens to Jonah. He is vomited on the beach. He spent three days in digestive juices. That's the assumption here. So he's probably not going to look too hot. And I don't know, but the scripture seems to imply that after getting on the beach and laying there, maybe enough time to go... Ah, air that doesn't smell like rotten fish in the belly of another one. God says, get up and go home. Don't worry about it. I'll get somebody else to go to Nineveh. Is that what your Bible says? No. Because <laughs> the consistency. God says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Let me see what he said in verse 2. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Okay, so he put in some more detail, or took away some details actually, but the call's the same, right? The message is the same. The, 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 the way to be obedient is the same. We think if we disobey later on, God's going to change his mind about it. None of y'all would say that. I wouldn't say that. But that, that's, what, but that's, that's what we think. If I, just, if I just disobey now, maybe the Lord will leave me alone about it, and I can go on about my way, and he, and he can go do his thing, I'll go do my thing, and that is just not the God we serve. God is consistent in our call. Every time I turn to Matthew 28, the Great Commission is still there, right there at the end of the chapter. Every time. Acts 1.8, be my witnesses. Still there. I, take any of your Bibles, unless you erased it, still there. Call doesn't change. The same God that sets the call keeps the call. Jonah learned that the hard way. Jonah probably would have loved if the fish had been the end of it. Whew, I learned my lesson. Now, if you go back and look at his prayer, you'll see he never repented. He never admitted sin. He just said, I will fulfill what I have vowed. It's like one of the last things he said. I don't know what vow he's talking about. But suddenly, after getting puked up, God says, now get up and go do what I told you to do the first time. That sounds like a parent. I don't want to do whatever the child says. And then some sort of punishment ensues. And when that punishment is over, well, let's go get some ice cream. No, get up and go do what I told you to do now. Or you get the same punishment again. God's consistent. He has not changed our call. The, the, the what we are supposed to do and what we aren't supposed to do, that's not changed in 2,000 years. It's not going to anytime soon unless you can get somebody to print a different Bible for you. Go the whole Thomas Jefferson route and take out the things you don't like. But we're not doing that. God is consistent. And that's what Jonah didn't like. God's consistency. He didn't like God's consistency because he knew the call was still going to come, but he also didn't like God's consistency because of what's next, the forgiveness. Jonah goes and he preaches the message that he was told to. In 40 days, Nineveh, Nineveh will be demolished. I said five words. I think it was five words in Hebrew. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. He's preaching what he was told to. Preach against it, preach against Nineveh, because their evil has come up before me. That is, a, that is certainly a message against Nineveh. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And the people mocked Jonah and told him, we don't even believe in your God, go home. No, no. See, I keep saying all these things that aren't in the Bible, and preachers shouldn't do that. Verse 5, then the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. 
The king of Nineveh took off his royal robe. He, he sat in ashes. He issued a decree. No person can taste anything, no eat or drink. We must turn from the evil ways and from this wrongdoing. Somebody who's grown up in church all your life, and you've heard this told to you 10 million times, what does it mean to repent? Who repented in this story? Jonah? Nineveh? With a five-message sermon, a five-word a five message, five-word sermon. Let me just tell you right now, if I could preach a five-word sermon and y'all would all do it, I'd do it every Sunday. <laughs> just letting you know, just telling you, if that is all it took... I do it every week and rejoice throughout the week at, try it, is that what you said? You only get one shot. I, I may, but it's, it, you just, you know, it's telling you. That's right. It depends on what the sermon is, right? As long as you tell me to do something I want to do. Ah, here we are. So, so just relax. Um, God saw their actions, verse 10, that they had turned, there's that word again, from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Forgave them. We see the forgiveness. The same God that announces judgment on the unrighteous forgives the repentant. That is of all the points, this is probably the greatest one. That's the greatest message of the Bible. The God that announces the judgment. The God that says, for the wages of sin is death. The God that says, you are, uh, you, for, on the day that you eat of the fruit, which you have now done, you will certainly die. The God who pronounces the judgment always says, but here's the way out. Here's the forgiveness. Repent. Just repent. They did. Let's go back to the history lesson for just a second. So Nineveh is in the, the nadir of their decline. They're still incredibly unrighteous. They are incredibly foul. They hit each other with fish, according to Veggie Tales. They, they, they don't do the things that God tells them to do, and they do the things he tells them not to. And, and, and all of the things. He, he does, they do all of them just exactly backwards. And now the message is coming that they are going to be destroyed in 40 days. Wiped out. And they're close to it anyway. They, they don't exist as a country, and their cities are certainly not where they once were, though there are a lot of people and they are large. And God forgives. And 25 years later, that country wipes out Israel. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Okay? Jonah, leave your country that's sinful and going to be destroyed. Go over here and tell this country that if they don't repent, you know, this country you don't like, if they don't repent, they are going to be destroyed. And he doesn't, and then he does. And, and they repent, and he doesn't destroy them. And in 25, 30 years, they go back and wipe out this country, Israel. There's a whole lot of theology lesson we don't have time for in that. But I will say that wrapped up in this same God that announces judgment of the unrighteous and forgives the, for the repentant, there is also the God that is using things that are going on in our lives to do things in our lives that we just cannot fathom. Jonah knew God was consistent. Jonah knew he would forgive because as we move forward, 
Jonah, in verse 4, chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. This is what I thought while I was still in my own country. It's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, as if those are bad things, and one, of, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I am just fed up with how nice you are. How forgiving you are. The guy that just probably died in the Mediterranean Sea and was rescued by a fish because according to him, he was a savior. Verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. God answered me. God was gracious. And that's great when he's gracious to me, and I hate it when he's gracious to other people. And we come to the chastisement of verse 7. Jonah said his piece. He's gotten a long, that's the most Jonah has said at one time in the whole book. And it's not a message of repentance or compassion or how good God is or teaching scripture. It's, you're not mean enough, God. To everybody else, you're plenty mean to me. Lord asks a question, is it right for you to be angry? Doesn't even answer him. We get the, the plant that shaded him. We get the worm that kills the plant. He was greatly pleased about the plant and greatly displeased about the worm. the withered plant was to just make Jonah more miserable. Y'all already miserable. Don't you know people like that? They're already miserable, and they're not happy unless they're more miserable. Happy doesn't fix the miserable. Only more miserable seems to make them happy. They just get more and more miserable and seem to be happier and happier in their misery. And that was Jonah. Because Jonah is learning. God is teaching. Jonah didn't learn probably. But God is teaching that the same God that requires right action requires right attitude. We want, because we, we, uh, we say this before, fake it till you make it, right? Go through motions to do things until it becomes a habit, until you like it. And sometimes that works, but God is actually concerned about our hearts, and not just the outward. He says attitude matters. Right action requires right attitude. He asks again, is it, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yeah, I'm angry enough to die. It's better for me to die than to live. Three times he said it. And God responds with the concern. Basically, it's not right. Verse 10, you cared about the plant which you didn't labor over and didn't grow. It appeared in a night, perished in a night. Verse 11, but may I not care about the great city of Nineveh which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. They have no moral understanding as well as many animals. Is it not right, Jonah, that I am concerned about people who are lost? Is it not right, Jonah, that I have more concern for humanity than you do? I created them, you didn't. You didn't even make the plant and you're mad about it. But you're not mad about the 120,000 people that could have died if they hadn't repented from their sins. Is it not right, Jonah? The same God you think hates the people you hate loves those people as much as he loves you. Is it not right? That we as a church give 10% of everything y'all give to the church, to missions, to take the gospel to people who, if they had their way, would come in here right now and kill us. Is it not right that God loves those people? To what extent does God love those people? To the extent of 
Jesus. That's how far God loves those people. Those people. We're those people. The same God that sent Jonah to Nineveh sent Jesus to us and is speaking to you right now. The same God. We can go back and we kind of, can kind of rehash these points. You are called to righteousness. Every one of us as, as humans are called to righteousness. It's a basic understanding. The law written on our hearts. We know certain things are right and certain things are wrong. We are called to righteousness. Believers, you are called mo- much more specifically to obedience, to a particular call, and God has been redirecting you to respond to the the message. Some of you here or watching this morning, God has directed you to hear this message of forgiveness and repentance so that you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't see the hand. You don't see that the salvation of Assyria meant the destruction of Israel so that God's greater purpose and plan could come together some uh, 750 years later in the form of Jesus as a baby, the, the Son of God coming. You, you don't see how all that worked in your life to get you here this morning to hear this message, and yet he's been doing that because God wants you to acknowledge him as Lord because he has a rescue for you. No matter what you face, no matter what you're looking at, no matter what the storm is or the fish is in your life, no matter what the problem is, Jesus is the consistent answer to that. Jesus is always the answer to what you're going, on, uh, going through. And God is offering forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The rescue is there. The, the forgiveness is there for you right now. And you are going through things in life right now that are chastisements. They are opportunities for God to chasten you, to chafe you, and to redirect you into a position where you respond to Jesus in faith. Yeah, I don't want this sort of thing in my life anymore. God is concerned for you as an individual. Right now, at this moment... And however God's mind works, you are his greatest, greatest concern, and so am I. Every one of us is God's greatest concern at the same time. The extent of the salvation offered exceeds even your sinfulness and wandering. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself today. The same God that saved me through Jesus can save you through Jesus. The same God that called me to ministry is calling you to ministry. It may not look like this, but it's still being, you're still being called to ministry. The result of sin is the need for a rescue. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our rescue. Jesus is the fish in this case. It doesn't always feel good to come to Christ. <gasps> Michael, what are you saying? You gotta, some of you are going to have to give up an entire life to turn to, you know, well, all of us. We give our lives to Jesus. That's not always easy. That's often painful. And yet it is worth it. This morning, if you acknowledge him, if you repent, if you place your faith in him and trust him, Jesus will forgive you of your sins. And then you take your next step, just like the rest of us. Accept salvation through Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized, follow in obedience. You need to conform your life to Christ. Submit something in your life to him. Maybe you're running like Jonah. 
Maybe you want to join our church. Whatever your decision is this morning, we'd love for you to share that with us. You can, you can text us. You can uh, respond to the, the subscribe thing up there, and you can text us back and let us know. Facebook, message us. Fill out a connection card. Let us know of your decision. Whatever it is today, I don't know if you're on the boat. don't know if you're on the shore. don't know if you're in the fish right now. But God is calling you. God is there for you. And he's waiting for you to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you that no matter what we are going through, no matter what our situation is, no matter, no matter how far from you we think we are or how close, uh, we think, uh, how close to you we think we are, you're the same God. The same God that called the Ninevites to repentance called Michael to repentance because I had the same future as they did. And eternity apart from you. I was in the same place. Lawless, unrighteous, sinner, lost, and you saved. God, this morning there's someone listening, someone here who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior. And they need to respond to the rescue that is offered this morning. Lord, there's someone here who has been a believer for a short time or a long time, but they know they have not submitted to the call. They have been running, and maybe it's been longer than just a few days. And they need to respond and give in to the rescue from the discipline they're experiencing right now and be obedient. God, we pray for a time of response as you change us from the inside out as you send your rescue. We pray that you'll move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll take a few minutes. Chelsea will be here to my left. I'll be to, over here to my right. If you'd like to pray with us, if you'd like for us to pray with you, uh, we will do that. Kirk and Lee, a couple of our deacons are in the back. Maybe you'd like to talk to them. Whatever your decision is this morning, we pray that you would respond. Don't just sit there. If you're laying on the beach after you've been puked up by a fish, get up. Because God is saying, get up. And as we pray this morning, as we worship, let's do remember Sinetra Moses and her family and the loss of Nadine Drost last night. Um, we want to lift them up and, and get, send them our love and our prayers. And uh, It looks like the funeral will probably be Thursday afternoon, but we'll be sending information out about that eventually just when we know it for certain so let's let's stand let's worship and let's let god work on our hearts this morning